Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Listening to Following On here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, we'll be talking first about England's 16 man squad for the Test Series against India starting uh, early next year, with Somerset spinner Shoeb Bashir included. Uh, we'll hear from managing director Rob Key, who confirms that Ben Stokes won't be bowling in the five match Test Series after his recent knee surgery. Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt, our old friend from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, joins us to discuss Andre Russell's return uh, to the West Indies T20 side for the first time in two years. And he runs his eye over their central contracts, who took them and who didn't. We'll look back on another ODI series defeat for England and hear from head coach Matthew Mott. Uh, we'll also be joined by Nepal head coach Monty Desai as they qualify for the T20 World Cup. So plenty to come as always over the next hour. You're listening to Following On. Well, Hami, were you amongst the very small minority who had any idea that uh, Shoaib Bashir would uh, be called up for England? It's an extraordinary story, isn't it? Um, six first-class matches. Uh, he made his first-class debut just uh, six months ago. I've been doing some very rapid catching up. I've been onto the Somerset uh, County Cricket Club website, which has a wonderful interview, actually, talking about um, him being included in the England spin camp in the UAE. And the interviewer says, things are happening rather quickly for you, aren't they? And he says, yes, they they are. <laughs> well, he had no idea just how quickly they would accelerate. No, no idea. And good for him. Well done to, to show him for getting... Not only for getting into that spin camp, but he's obviously gone to the spin camp with a mindset of, I'm going to get myself on the plane to India because that's how he's performed and good for him. I'm so, I'm so pleased for him. I heard his name for the first time early in the summer. Darren Goff mentioned him. We we're talking about different things. I think we we're playing golf at the time. We we're just talking about chewing the fat, different things and talking about spinners. And I was asking where Don Bess is at, I think it was. Because you know, during my time, I'd, I'd spent a couple of days with with Dom when he came back from one of the England tours, and he looked a little bit of a broken man. Jitin Patel was up there, and I, I was inquiring about Dom Bess and what his mindset and where he's at at this moment in time. And 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 Goffey said, "There's a kid at Somerset that that's well thought of." Show him back here. I don't think he had played first class cricket. Or he hadn't played a lot of first class cricket up till then. Um, he said he's one that that the, the, the look the, the like the look of and enjoy. So. That sort of pricked me ears up. All right, I'll watch for this for this kid. He's got a lovely action. He really has got a nice tall action. He looks as though he could do with with building up and a, and a good feed. He looks as though there's, there's not much. Uh, he's he's very sort of very slight, should we say? He's not exactly. I've you know, been on my diet for the last five or six years, but I'm so pleased with it. I love seeing young players get rewarded for doing things that doing the hard yards because he hasn't played a lot of cricket. But he's must have gone to the UAE and and really grabbed a hold of what the information was needed to process it, to perform, and for the selectors to say, Do you know what, 
let's take him to India. He might not play, but let's give him some ex- some experience in with a, in the camp. And it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see him sit next to Jimmy Anderson, possibly on the plane. Where I don't even. I think he was. I think Jimmy had made his had made his England debut. You know, five months after Shoaib had been born. So it's uh, it's it's going to be an interesting one. Another tick off the list of Jimmy Jimmy Andersons, but. Look, it's great to see young players get get rewarded. Slightly surprised that Will Jacks isn't in the group, but I can understand why Rob Key has probably gone that way. Um, I'm not surprised Liam Dawson's not in it. I, I probably wouldn't have took Liam Liam either. But um, the young man from Somerset, you know, good on you for getting you know getting into that squad. So many preconceptions that we've had for years and years and years throughout your playing career and uh, throughout my journalism career. One is that, uh, you know, spinners need to take longer to earn their stripes and mature and, you know, they don't come into their own until they're sort of hitting 30. Uh, And here he's only just turned 20. It is uh, extraordinary. Anyway, you mentioned Rob Key. Let's hear from him. He was talking a little earlier to our producer, Scott Taylor. You know, it's not just about... Right. What spinners do we take? It's what spinners do we take for the conditions that we think we might come up against, but then also making sure that we've got things covered if they're not turning pitches. So that was it, really. So for a while, we've been trying to earmark the spinners that we feel would be the most useful for us out in in India. So someone like Tom Hartley, for a while, we've been looking at, and he's been on the lines for the last couple of years where we've been trying to just sort of, because it's not conditions that actually you you come across in England at all. You almost have to a little bit disregard what's happened in county cricket because it's a very different style of bowling and trying to work out who's going to be the best players for what we're coming up against. And that's where we've ended up. And playing five test matches in India, people often say this is probably the most difficult challenge of the new era. How excited are you and how much are you relishing the opportunity of five test matches against India in India? I think there's no doubt this is one of, for every team around the world, whether that's Australia, England, anyone, this is one of the toughest assignments you can have. But it's also one of the opportunities to do something great. The thought that someone like Hartley could come in and end up winning, helping you win a test match out in India you know, with playing relatively little domestic cricket, but just seeing something, it's going to be hard. But it just, you just, I'm just personally so excited about it. And also, I think you know, the, the spin will be one thing, but the batting is clearly another. You know, if it, it depends, you know, who knows what you're going to come up with in this series. You're going to have to adapt pretty quickly. But in the past, in recent times, it's been fast cricket. It's been cricket. It's been over in two or three days and someone goes out there and you get an 80, that can be a defining innings in the game. So we've got players right the way throughout our batting lineup that could play that sort of innings. You know, you could be lose a few wickets early, could be spin coming at you all the time and someone who just goes out there and can just change the game on its head. It could be the difference on both teams, actually. Last time it was Rohit Sharma, Pant, people like that. Um, and I think we've got a few of those guys that could that could make a real difference quickly, which is going to be important out there. And you talk about seeing Tom Hartley and being excited by Tom Hartley. So from an ECB point of view, how pleased are you that when he goes back to Lancashire at the start of the summer, he'll be able to learn off Nathan Lyon, who's signed there for the whole summer now? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's bittersweet, isn't it? It's really good if you can learn off Nathan Lyon, but it's hard to learn if you're not on the same team. Mm. Yeah, and just finally for me, you, you talk about no... Dawson and Jackson, this squad. But from a broader point of view, how difficult is it as your job of managing director to to manage that balance of playing the guys that are centrally contracted, but also looking ahead to the future and maybe giving exposure to the guys you want to see in the England side in a few years' time? Yeah, look, it, it, it's one of the cha- it's probably the challenge of this job. Really, is trying to to balance that world between franchise cricket and trying to work out. And actually, it's probably. We have, so as I said, we've got seven, I think it's 17 test matches next year plus a world T20. You know, so there's always something else on the horizon. So, as much as you've got the test tour, then there's also ways, well, how do you get people ready for that world T20? Because that's going to come around as quick as anything, really. So, that is hard. 
there's just a hell of a lot of cricket and it comes around thick and fast. That's uh, England Managing Director Rob Key talking uh, talking at length, actually, to uh, producer Scott Taylor uh, a little while ago. And he makes a lot of sensible points, um, brave points. You know, it's the type of spinner that we want, not just the best spinners. And he makes the point that it's all very well looking at the top of the bowling averages in county cricket, but they're not necessarily the spinners who are going to do the job in India. And as you said, Shoaib Bashir is uh, is tall, and I think they've been looking at Aksar Patel, haven't they? Um, and and thinking, who have we got uh, who's tall and bowls spin at good pace? And that was the reason that uh, that they've gone for the spinners they have. Although Rian Ahmed's not tall, but he's a wrist spinner. Yeah, he's a wrist spinner, and I think I, 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 he had to go. I think Rian had to go. I think he's shown in the Caribbean. That he's got something about him. Um, I enjoyed his batting the other you know, in one of the. Well, I think it was in the third game. He had lovely ball of extra cover. And Paul Nixon, were on this this show on the following on or what was the collective talked about. Rian Ahmed was a batter who bowled in his eyes. The Leicester former Leicester coach. So there are good things coming out of of Rian Ahmed. Tom Hartley, I think the Axar Patel. Yes, I think somebody who is tall and bowls that little bit quicker rather than. Will Jackson and, and Liam Dawson, who bowl that little bit slower um, from a finger spinner's point of view, off spin and left arm spin. But I'm not saying that the, the cupboard's threadbare. I think the cupboard's young. I think the cupboard's young and possibly a bit naive. When you look at what they've selected, I think they've made the right choices. Um, I would only have took Will Jacks because of we're possibly going to need somebody in the top six to bowl. And that might be have to be Joe Root because of the other options England have took, which would be... They're only taking four seamers. So that tells me in five test matches, if you're only taking four seamers, you're going to play two spinners and two seamers. Um, so you have a have a backup plan for for what you've got. And you've covered all bases with your four spinners. You've got a leg spinner. You've got a, 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 an off spinner. You've got two left arm spinners. And I think the right option was to take two left arm spinners because we all, we've got to remember Jack Leach's, you know, he, he, he does suffer from an illness where he could get struck down literally the night before. So you have to have a ready-made replacement for Jack Leach. So I think all in all, I think it's not a bad squad that's going to India. The spin bowlers are always questioned, no matter what nationality you are, unless you're from Bangladesh, Pakistan or Sri Lanka, you always question the England, the South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, West Indies, all always question their spin options when they go to the subcontinent. England are a bit raw and they're a bit youthful, but I tell you what, hopefully, if they give them, and you have to give them some encouragement, sometimes naivety is not a bad thing when you're going into the cauldron. If they can, if they can hold their their nerve and hold their their emotions playing in India, then I think they'll 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 definitely be fine because they're not bits and pieces. They're actually out and out spin bowlers. I think because of that, I think England have made the right choice and not taking um, someone like Liam Dawson, who is. He's not a part-time spinner by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I, like he, like Rob Key says, I like what he said. You know, there, there are spin bowlers for for English cricket, and there are spin bowlers for subcontinent pitches. And I, I think Liam Liam's more, I think probably more suited to the English conditions than than he is when it's when it will be spinning in in, in India. And Tom Hartley is six foot four. Um, he bowls at good pace. Another left arm spinner. From Lancashire. Now he's not a like-for-like replacement for Jack Leach. It might be interesting to see whether they actually give Tom Hartley the first test. They might do. I know they've been bowling. I know a lot of them have been bowling with new balls in the UAE, and they might they might have have a look at at Hartley in Hyderabad. That might somewhere might be somewhere where where Hartley plays. They might play both. You know, mentioned they are they aren't like for like. The only sort of similarities is the left arm the left arm option. England might think Hartley and Leach can bowl together because of the the release points and you know the pierce the bowl at. When you say oh, we're going to play two left arm arm spinners, you know people might sort of scoff and say, "Well, what's the point if one's not going to do the job?" Then neither is two. But I think they're two different types of spinners. But I'm pleased they're taking two left arm spinners because that angle of attack, that option you've got, especially when you've got you know what we've mentioned about Jack Leach at least would have still have that game plan where we're taking the ball away from the right-handed outside edge. Okay, just to throw in a brutal dose of reality as well, Will Jacks and Liam Dawson stand to make a great deal more money playing in the SA20 than they would 
had they been selected and accepted their selection on a five test match tour of India. That's that's just the way it is. That's the truth. And Rob Key said Liam didn't make himself unavailable, but I don't think that he would have appreciated travelling around India for two months carrying drinks when he could be earning, you know, over £150,000 playing the SA20. So there's that point, there's that dose of reality that Rob Key brings to his position and to English cricket. There's there's that harmony. And also um, Ben Folks returning. Johnny Bairstow's in the squad, but Folks presumably will start as keeper. Yeah, it seems as though, obviously, Folks will, will come back with the gloves. I've got a theory on that in a second. But again, you talk brilliantly about the reality of Rob Key and the job that he's doing. You had a sense that Will Jack's not getting a central contract was never going to go to India. And the reasons why Ben Folks got a central contract was because he was going to India. So I think, you know, once once the central contracts were announced, I think Jack's was never going going to go to India. Um, He was going to take up the, the sort of the T20 franchise option, which, like Rob Key mentions, you know, we've got a T20 World Cup coming up in June. And playing 2020 cricket franchise wise might not be the best. Might, it might be the best thing for it might be the best thing for uh, Will Jack. So on that, and then you you look, I think in the same for Liam Dawson. If Liam, I think Liam Dawson would have gone to India if Rob Key had sat him down and said, Liam, I think you're going to play. You're going to bat at six. You're going to bat at seven. You're going to be our spin option. I think Liam Dawson would have gone to India and played. But I think common sense has prevailed that he's not number one choice. So he's not number one choice. There's no point at the age that Liam's at. I think the one thing you can say is that if at a drop of a hat something happens to Jack Leach and there's a there's a position in the eleven opens up, I think the conversation Rob Key might have is, well, we'll get him across because we know he's going to play. I think that's more sensible than than to carry him with a with a head down throughout the, the whole tour. Then, folks, on the other hand, I'm pleased to see he's back. I think England have got some. Massive head scratchers when it comes to selecting and how they get into 11. I've got a funny feeling that I can see the scenario Ben Folks playing the first two test matches, England not scoring enough runs, Johnny Besto potentially on the sideline, and England bringing Johnny Besto back for the last three test matches because England's England's top order can't play the spin that's you know, going to come at them. And, and Ben Folks might be the one that the scapegoat misses out. So watch this space for that conundrum because I can potentially see in that unfortunately happening. Okay, if we've got time in part two or later on, I'm going to ask you about Ollie Robinson as well. You said if England are going to play two seamers and two spinners, Ollie Robinson's going to have to bowl 16 or 18 overs in a day, certainly if it's on day one. Um, And so that to me feels like perhaps the biggest gamble of all. But we'll come back to that because uh, time is marching on. And uh, you can hear, I must remind you, live and exclusive ball by ball commentary of England's T20 series against the West Indies coming up right here on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Following On on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Another reminder that we'll bring you live in exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of England's five-match T20 series against the West Indies right here on TalkSport 2 um, starting this week. But uh, as I said, we're joined live by Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt to reflect on... An ODI series that um, is terrific, Mash. Um, so good to have you back, and thanks once again for your time. You know, I mean, uh, Harmy and I get get paid the the big bucks or the small bucks in my case um, to, to talk about things from an England perspective. But you know what? I mean, that's that's fantastic, isn't it? You know, England beaten by the team that couldn't qualify for the World Cup, and you know nobody can quibble about about the result. West Indies played the better cricket. Yeah, I think, um, uh, as ever, thanks for having me on. But um, fundamentally, both teams, as we said, the last time we spoke, came into this series with somewhat of a reset on their mind. The kind of rhetoric coming out of both camps was about looking to the future and building a new philosophy and et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think it's clear that the, the, the happier of the two sides uh, will be the West Indies. It's, a, it's an interesting one, though, because... As much as England's side was somewhat experimental, they still probably would have been expected to win that, you would have said. And I know, obviously, Harmy said that he thought that England's um, focus was to to come away with a, a, a kind of comprehensive, convincing victory. But as you say, as you say, Manners, over the three games, West Indies just played the better cricket and were, were deserved winners. 
match, for me, the, the West Indies handle, handle the pressure situations the best. And that must encourage you as a, a West Indian supporter because in the first game, England got 325 way over par. And then it wasn't until the last 10 overs when England were really put under pressure by Hope and Rutherford that, hold on here, we're going to get, we're going to get, we potentially could get beat. And in the same, at the end there, in the, in the third game, when Atkinson was bowling, you're thinking England has still got a good chance here. And then all of a sudden, you know, England cracked under pressure and the West Indies held their nerve, crash bang, wallop, 4-6-4, four, four, game over. And that must encourage you more as a West Indies fan that, the pressurised situation, you got yourselves in a position to win and then the pressurised situations you handled. Yeah, and I think six months on from the World Cup qualifiers, that was the, the notable thing that let us down. The pressure points versus Zimbabwe, the precious points for, pressure points versus the Netherlands, we were found wanting. Against England, like you say, we rose to the occasion when, certainly in the first game when it looked like we wouldn't chase it down, and in the second game there was a moment when England were, were definitely on top, when Shafane Rutherford got out, it felt like, OK, England are gonna, England are going to get this one. But um, I think what was most pleasing of all from a West Indian perspective was the performance of Ali Cathanes, heralded as like one of our new, one of the new stars coming out of the region. I think he showed both West Indian fans and more importantly, an, an overseas uh, fan base, what his skill set is all about. A lot of pressure has been on Casey Carty's, shoulder, uh, Casey Carty's shoulders in the last game. He came to the fore with that 50 and held things together. But do you know what? Even more important was that final win had nothing to do with Shea Hope. Because I think sometimes with the West Indies OGI side, it feels like it's Shea Hope and nothing else. And in that first game, obviously, he scored the sparkling century. Whereas in this one, more impressively, was that the team got over the line without him, without needing him to do anything significant. Obviously, his captaincy was good, but he didn't have to contribute with the bat. OK, Mash, um, the West Indies faced this uh, age-old conundrum that so many teams have. The balance between succession planning and rebuilding and looking to the future and winning now. The point that Stuart Broad made so eloquently um, about England when they tried to move on from him and Jimmy Anderson, he said, how about we just win games of cricket? So the, the West Indies Cricket Board have recalled the great and one and only Dre Russ. And I never thought that I would ever say this, but a man's form in the T10 competition where he's playing for the Sharjah Alligators or someone, uh, but he's still smashing them and uh, and bowling a couple of tidy overs. I mean, look, it's not based on his T10 form, but maybe it is. Um, and there's a T20 World Cup to be won in six months' time. And so they say he's not the only um, old hand, familiar name to be recalled. Yes, so with Dre, so if we just dip under the surface ever so slightly with Andre Russell, it's... There's probably a bigger story here because six months ago there was a press conference held and the the journalists in the Caribbean and all West Indies uh, j- journalists have been asking for quite some time. What about Sunil Narine? What about Andre Russell? Has the door been closed on them? And recently Desmond Haynes said they're not part of our conversation. Like and that implied that implied to everyone, well, we're moving on then, I guess. And uh, subsequently Sunil Narine announced his uh, his retirement from international cricket. But Darren Sammy had also said when he became head coach that he was going to have a conversation with anybody and everybody who could play for West Indies. And that's why we think Shimon Hetmeyer came back into the fold. I, I mean, I haven't received confirmation of this, but I would have to speculate and assume that Darren Sammy, who, of course, played with Andre Russell, has gone to Andre Russell and said, will you come back into the international fold ahead of the World Cup? Dre has gone on record many times as saying, he still believes he can contribute to West Indies cricket. Now, if that's the backstory, what we've got to look at it, what we've got to look at the situation is in like just cold, hard facts. Outside of Alzari Joseph, and if we want to say Romario Shepherd, Romario Shepherd, West Indies struggle in T20s with their bowling. And by bowling, I mean their seam bowling. They are concerned that they do not have a middle overs enforcer and they are concerned that they do not have a death bowler. I'm not saying that Andre Russell is the be-all and end-all within, in those regards, but certainly in the Caribbean and based on the CPL uh, last summer, there is nobody better placed in the Caribbean to do that. And when you add in and factor in Andre Russell's 
a multitude of T20 experience all around the world, it makes sense to call him back. And what about uh, the the central contracts then? Um, I think it's uh, Jason Holder, Nicholas Puran and Kyle Mayers have turned down central contracts. It seems to me that the higher your earning potential globally, the less likely you are to accept a West Indies central contract. Well, I mean... Manners, I've seen you write so much about this with regards to South African cricket, and I've I've always said to you that the the kind of trials and tribulations of of, of South African cricket run in parallel with um, cricket West Indies, and we're just at the next phase. I think we're at the next phase now of where the game is going. We saw it with Trent Bolt. I think the only surprise in the Caribbean is that it's Jason Holder. For so many years, Jason Holder was held up as the face of West Indies cricket. He's loyal to West Indies cricket. And now, and who could blame him, I hasten to add, at the age of 31, I think he's decided, well, I want to make some money as well. Um, so so, so he's, turned down the, he's turned down the central contract. Now, what will, be, what will be interesting to see is what happens when the West Indies go on a test tour now then. So we've got Australia coming up. I would assume Jason Holder will still want to play test cricket. We have England next summer. I would assume Jason Holder still wants to go to England and would be picked to go on a test tour. But I'm just intrigued to know if this is now a Trent Bolt situation or if this is a more flexible situation with regards to West Indies cricket. On the face of it, I would hazard a guess that in Jason Holder's regard, it's because he doesn't want to play ODIs anymore. Whereas for someone like Nicholas Puran, he exclusively wants to play T20s and does isn't really bothered about anything else. And like I say, I think this is just the next stage of the T20 evolution. At at some point, Harmy and uh, Manners, I think we're going to be in, we're going to be talking about players exclusively playing for clubs and getting loaned out to their international sides. That's what I think this is going to be. The I, I feel like that's the next evolution. Yeah, I think I, I don't think you're too far away from that. I think the England central contracts possibly put a spanner in the works for for some of the franchises because I think a lot of them were thinking like Jofra Archer three year deal with Mumbai Indians or Josh Butler three or four years with with Rajasthan. And the point you make about Jason, I've never really had a problem with players like Jason. I remember when you know the franchise then and T20 came about and AB de Villiers and Chris Gale retired from Test cricket. They'd played their time. They'd, they'd played over 100 test matches. You know, a huge amount of respect for, for them to play that long. And you're right. I think it is about time Jason Holder says, well, it's my turn to, to make money. Not sure about Nicholas Poran. I think sometimes you have you want your cake, you eat it. And if you just want to play T20 cricket, let him off. See you later. But this T20 series coming up, looking at the West Indies squad match, that is a good squad. That I think that as much as the 50 over games, I thought England comprehensive win, comfortable. Um, and, and obviously I got it wrong. But I think the West Indies will fancy their chances to beat England in this T20 series because of the, the experience and the power that the West Indies have got over England, I think. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I actually agree. I, uh, I <laughs> A rare moment of me being confident with West Indies cricket here. But, <laughs> but, but, but to, to be fair, I, I agree that not only because of who we've selected, but the form they're coming into this this series with they beat South Africa in South Africa earlier this year in a very high scoring um, series. They beat India in the Caribbean in the summer. And yes, some people will say, but Mash, there wasn't the full strength sides for whether South Africa and and India. But I think we've got to look away from this notion of full strength sides now. This I think this is where we're going in international cricket in general. That there's going to be a lot of experimentation. So um. West Indies go into this with confidence and go in probably under Rodman Powell's captaincy and obviously Darren Sammy as head coach, believing that they have the power and an all-round squad that can, almost like a homage to the to, to the yesteryear, of being able to outblast any other team. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how this goes down. And finally, Mash, um, you talked about the parallels between South African cricket and the West Indies cricket. South Africa are finally embracing the idea that uh, you need to let your players go off and earn as much as they can and then try and entice them back um, to play for their country and certainly in the big tournaments. Like Quinton de Kock said that he was retiring from international cricket and the head coach, Rob Walter, said, uh, no, you're not. You can go and play in the Big Bash, but you can. I want you in the, in the T20 World Cup. So... 
In South Africa, um, I think cricket's reached such a low point that, you know, everyone's shrugging their shoulders and going, oh, well, if that's what it takes. How will that attitude go down? Because it's the same in the Caribbean now. So so how, how will it be accepted by, by, by you, the media, the fans, the other players, if the likes of Dre Russ don't play for the West Indies for two years and then when the T20 World Cup r- rolls around, you just go, who are our best 15 players for a T20 World Cup, Dre Russ, you're in. I don't think we're there just yet <laughs> in terms of in terms of accepting the, the 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 financial realities of the global market and how West Indies have to uh, be flexible to operate around that. We're on our way, and that's why I mentioned Jason Holder at the beginning because Jason Holder has so much credit in the bank in West Indies cricket amongst the fan base, the media, uh, administrators, stakeholders, etc. That I think fans will be willing to accept that Jason will come and go as and when without turning his back completely on West Indies cricket. And once somebody like Jason Holder leads the way, I think it becomes easier to accept players in the future doing it as well. But it's, it's, it's like I say, it's the, it's, it's the realities of the market. There's no, there's no use crying about it because it's not going back the other way. So any kind of delay within the fan base and the media accepting the reality for what it is, it's wasted time. The quicker we can get to grips with this is how it's going to work is, is, is the quicker that we can assemble and put together our best side without worrying about the fallouts. Yep. And by the way, Rob Key is uh, steering the English cricket ship in the same direction. Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt, Mash, thank you so much for your time. It's, it's always enlightening and always fun and you're always welcome. Thanks again. No worries. Thank you very much. And a reminder, you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of England's T20 series against the West Indies right here on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Uh, Next up, we'll reflect back on that uh, ODI series defeat to the West Indies and hear from England head coach Matthew Mott. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed, now available as always via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, let's uh, look back then, Harmy, on what was a really disappointing third game as a spectacle, I I suppose, um, as much as uh, the result from an England point of view anyway. 
but England had their chances. Yeah, yeah, recovering from from fifty odd for five and uh, to to make two hundred and, and credit to Ben Duckett and uh, Liam Livingston, although both will be very disappointed, I think, with the manner of their dismissals. But as I just said to Mash, you know, the West Indies played the better cricket. What, from an England point of view, will they be looking at it as an opportunity missed, particularly that third game, or or will they be honest and say we just we blew it? I think they've got to be honest and say they blew it. They did recover well, took it, took it back well. I thought Liam Livingston played, and not from an experienced player that was well needed at the time. He could have could have got out a couple of times, but I thought he held his nerve. I thought he, I thought he showed some real restraint in in what he was trying. I think what he normally wants to do, and I think that's always been the challenge for Liam in in fifty over cricket because he's played so many he plays so many T Twenty games in a certain role in a certain way. Uh, batting at number seven, he still keeps that way, if you know what I mean, which is I've got 10, 15, 20 balls in this game. I've got to hit every ball for six or four. Where when you go out to bat at 49 for five, you know, you have to play like you know, a test match with a first-class way. And I thought he did that. I thought he did that well with still having the imp- the intent that he, he probably needed to, to keep the scoreboard going as the rain was coming and reducing the overs. So I was really pleased for Liam the way the way he he played. I thought he showed his, his some experience. And then with the ball, the ball worried me a lot throughout this series. I don't think England bowled very well. Take Sam Curran's first three, take take his three wickets away in the power play. I think in the second game, I don't think England bowled that well in the power plays. West Indies didn't get off the blistering starts, but I just didn't think we hit the right areas. We didn't look. We weren't sort of threatening enough from a wicket point of view. Um, and then at the end. I don't think we held our nerve very, very well. And I know people will say some inexperienced players, and that will get better with the more they're thrown in the deep end. But I think all in all, England will feel as though they've missed a trick. West Indies were there to be had. You know, 325 in the first game, when the score was an average score, was 267 on that ground, was way, way too many for, you know, and it wasn't for the brilliance of Shy Hope, but England should have gotten over the line in the first game. And even with the ball, in the second game, a target of 205. England had the West Indies, what, when Hope gets out, 90 for 99 for three, and then 135 for six. You're thinking, just somebody grab a hold of the game and, and, and win the match for you from an England point of view. And I was really sort of left disappointed the way England performed in that last, the last throws of the of the game. And they really let Shepard and, and Ford, who was on debut, you know, get, in a position to to win the game for the West Indies. So full credit to the West Indies. They deserve to win the series because for me, they played the pressurised situations the best. But I was really, really disappointed and probably more so with the ball than than anything else. The captain's dismissal, Harmi, um, the reactions to it um, amused me. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, the, the half a dozen reports I heard or read, uh, I just wondered how many of those people would have said if that ball had gone for six Oh, that's Josh Butler, back to his best, fearless, playing on instinct. And, you know, he's hooked the first ball and it's gone for six, And but he gets out to it and people are writing what's going on in his head. Does he need a rest? He, he needs to He needs to have a good, honest look at himself. And, and I'm thinking, oh, look, uh, look at the way he's played for the last 10 years. I can, look at you, it was, it was the first ball. But I, I just couldn't help thinking that if he'd scored runs a few more runs in these last 15 ODIs, then, you know, nobody would have been questioning him hooking the first ball he faced and getting out to it. No, I, I, I think you're spot on. I think you're 100% right. It was instinct. It, it, it just walks out to bat, takes his guard, picks his bat up, thinks, right, I'm just going to drop back, try and punch one down the ground, get off strike and get down to the end, start my innings. Got 50 in the last game, just carry on like that. And I think it's because of the play he is. Because of the way Joss has been brilliant for so many years for England, that he got caught hooking first ball. Because I'm not sure too many players would have got it to fine leg because it would have either hit him on the head or they would have, because it bounced. It shows it was a good ball by Alzari Jokes. It really was. Ball was in a good area. It bounced on him. It was quicker. And I think it was just because of Joss, Joss's instinct and quick hands. And he managed to get a top edge on it. I think a lot of a lot of batters first up in that situation might have gloved it behind if they were going to get it out, or it, it might have just sort of bashed them straight on the head. So it was an instinct that Joss Butler needs to keep. It's an instinct that you never ever encourage him to try and curtail. He got out 
that's it for me, unfortunately. Yes, I think there are arguments that he probably possibly does need to have a little bit of a break. He'll get one at the end of the T20 series. You know, there's, there's a long time between the IPL. I'm not sure what's happening with South Africa um, and, and the amount of cricket if he if he's if he is going or if he's going to play. So I hope the England captain, once this 2020 series finishes, has a good Christmas, reflects on what has been a difficult time for him as a leader, him as a player, and there's no doubt he'll come back stronger from that. But uh, for people to sort of have a go at him for getting out first ball, is instinctive. He's in, he's an instinctive player. And never, ever would discourage Josh Butler to be, to be not instinctive, not to try and go for what he sees first. And unfortunately, he sees things quicker. His hands are quicker, but this time it was a it was a good ball, and unfortunately he didn't get enough on it to get it for six. Because you're right, I think if he had had it at for six, and then managed to make forty or fifty, everybody would be like, oh, Josh Butler's back. He got out. You know these things happen. Okay, well, um, our man in the Caribbean, Sam Allard, spoke to Engl- um, England's white ball coach Matthew Mott after the series, and this is what he had to say. We all found it challenging, particularly in India. I think we uh, we went in with high expectations and we didn't deliver. But you know, I've been I've been in the coaching game now for 30 years. I've experienced a lot of highs and lows. And I think what you need to do as a as a as a coach is to maintain that you know that level uh, head and you make sure that you're bringing out the best in people around you. I think um, it's easy to sort of go up and down and ride the emotions, and and we do as coaches we ride the ride the game a lot. But essentially, you're there for the playing group and trying to support them and making sure that you, know, you, you give off positive energy. So, you know, there's a lot to play out here. I think it's um, this is a very exciting group of players. I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with them. Yeah, there's so much talent in that dressing room and there's so many good players that, that aren't here. Again, a tough, a tough few months on paper, but you just look at some of the players and you still think like, OK, it's been a tough couple of months, but goodness me, there's so much talent in this team and it feels like the good times are not too far away again. Is that fair? Yeah, I think, and a lot of people look back on, on different eras, but you know, this is, to me, the, the start of a new era. I think there's a, a group of players in there who we need to invest in. We need to you know, give them an opportunity to make some mistakes, make sure we support them, and they'll come out great players. I, I'm like everyone in our dressing room. We've got a lot of faith in what it's going to look like. Um, short term, yeah, we need to keep winning series, and that's, that's definitely on the agenda, but it's a lot bigger picture than that. We need to, we need to back our best players and, and give them opportunities to perform. And I say, coach, you're sort of more hungry now than ever to try and turn this around and, and go again. Because I guess the great thing with cricket is we haven't got to wait too long doing for another World Cup, right? We're back in six months. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's obviously an ICC world event every year for the next decade. Yeah. So, wow. you know, they're the, they're the things that we play for. And we love to win the series leading up. But at the end of the day, uh, as we all know, that's what we're all judged on. And, you know, we've got an opportunity to keep building this series in the West Indies is a huge uh, opportunity for us to... You know, build our squad into that uh, into that World Cup over here. England fans listening to this, your message to them: stick with the team. There's good players here. Good times running around the corner. Absolutely. I, I'm. You know, we we picked this squad. It's it's obviously there's some younger players in there, and uh, if you speak to anyone around the world, you know that watches cricket, they're so excited by this group of players, and I think it's something that uh, it will take time. We've got to invest. But, you know, we've got, we've got to have the patience. We've got to stick with these players and you're going to see some really good stuff in the next couple of years. That was Matthew Mott speaking to uh, Talk Sports' Sam Ellard um, out in the Caribbean. Harmy, we've got like, 90 seconds left of this section and I'm concerned that we might not be able to um, finish off talking about England's test squad in India. So I know it's a bit like having marmalade with sausages, but I'm going to squeeze this in because we've got Monty Desai in part four and I, I think that I, I've got lots to ask him. So... I mentioned Ollie Robinson being one of England's seamers. I'm very concerned about the prospect of him having to bowl 16 or 18 overs in a day on a flat one in Hyderabad. But also, what about England flying into India three days before the first test match, doing their prep in Dubai, in the UAE, in a nice, comfortable five-star hotel and flying in three days before the first test. I know that we've all got to get our heads around the new the new world order, but I don't know. That doesn't sit easy with me. Madness. Honestly, I'm old, and people are going to throw things at me saying, you know, you're, you're just an old man and you're talking rubbish. But I'm not for I'm not for warm games. I, I don't mind them not playing warm games. I really don't. But three days before going to Hyderabad, they're going to Hyderabad, Vishkapatnam, Rajkot, Ranchi and Dharma Salah. 
They're not going to Bangalore. They're not going to Mumbai. They're not going to you know the, the bigger stadiums where the practice facilities are and, and, and the grounds and the hotels are a little bit sort of more desirable. They're going into the they're going into the real heart of India. For me, you've got to get on the ground early. You've got to be able to. The ball's not going to spin as much in Dubai than it is in in, in Hyderabad or just Patnam. It just doesn't make sense. Do you know what it, it does? It really. I hate to throw this at, at this group, but it keeps. I've I've been saying I think this ECB are now getting a little bit arrogant, and unfortunately, that decision itself. I've never really been a big one for put, like, kicking back against the team, and I'm 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 always support. I really want to be supportive of it, but that decision stinks. Of we want to stay in Dubai. The hotels are nicer. The place is nicer. The golf courses are nicer. The beer is better. Everything is better about that. You go into India. India itself is one of the toughest places in the world. This is tougher than going to Australia, playing against Australia in the Ashes, when you go into India. To go in three days before, you'll be two nil down before you realise you know how much the ball's spinning or you know what what the, the conditions are gonna be like. I'm sorry, man, as I'm just an old man, unfortunately. Not as old as me, and I share your view completely. I, I just think it's uh, it's just bonkers. I mean it I remember when Gary Kirsten was on the verge of being appointed as Indian coach and he said to me in a private conversation, which I'm now making public, well, um, I can just stay in Dubai. I base myself out of Dubai and, you know, fly in before the games. And because his three children were very young at the time. And and I, I said, uh, Gary, there's, there's 1.3 billion people, many of whom have got young children, and including young children. So they're all happy enough living in India. I really think you should consider doing the same. <laughs> and I think, you know, England, they need to spend some time acclimatising, really, um, to to everything. Um, it's not, as you said, yeah, it can be counterproductive playing a three-day warm-up game against a team that may not be of the highest quality. Um, and that's why England went towards this sort of playing two-day warm-up games, which is basically a, an outdoor net with fielders. But still, when I say acclimatise, I'm not talking about the weather. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just, you know, get into India. Manners, Manners England have got a 40-year-old fast bowler. They've got Ollie Robinson, who, let's be fair, put it out there, you don't know what Ollie Robinson's going to turn up. Fair play to him. He looks. I've seen videos of him. He looks fitter. He looks. He looks in decent order. He looks as though he's been practicing. But he's walked off after six or seven overs and games in the past. You got Mark Wood, another one who has got an, an injury record, which yeah, you, know, you try to get him through a test series could be challenging. It honestly, it does. It stinks of for me. It stinks of arrogance that you know the beer's better, the golf courses are better, and everything's rosier in Dubai than it is going to be in you are going to the heart of india get your head around that you know don't go three days before because by the time you've by the time you've played two test matches test matches might just last three days and all of a sudden you're three you're two tests in you're two you're, you're two nil down you probably haven't played anywhere near to the cricket that you'd like and people then will question the, the acclimatization and, and what you did beforehand so again i come back to the fact that i'm an old man and a lot of this, these decisions in the last 18 months have been good ones because they've been winning. Now they're not winning. I know they didn't win the Ashes. Now there's a little bit of pressure on them. I think when you scrutinise some of the decisions that they're making, I think they're head scratchers. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube if you're not doing so already. Uh, just head over to the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel to subscribe um and i'm delighted to say as promised at the top of the show we are now joined by nepal's head coach monty desai um and uh, we are going to talk t20 world cup monty welcome thank you very much indeed for your time what a fabulous achievement but i have to say amongst the the so-called smaller nations who've qualified i think i'm least surprised by nepal's qualification because I, I mean, Harmi and I have spoken for years about being determined to go and watch cricket in Nepal. But from what we've seen on, on YouTube, I mean, the support, the growth, the fanaticism for the game is quite extraordinary in that country. Very much. I mean, uh, to be honest, it takes me back to my 80s and 90s when I was growing up and watching the game. And, you know, some of those uh, 
derby games even in india uh, especially the specific clubs which it, uh, that we used to go and watch it was very much the same atmosphere and out here i am in nepal uh, since january this year and every time we play a game in especially that uh, tribune university ground tu which is a historical ground for nepal cricket the stadium is jam packed i mean i cannot even say stadium it's like banks around and a small dressing room on the other side with some structure in place uh, you know so but yes uh, the fans are crazy they climb the trees they stand in the rain with umbrellas on they climb up the roof to just uh, enjoy the moments and yes qualifying for the world cup 2024 it was a very significant moment for all the nepali fans and for us we feel proud about it and monty what will it mean to what does it mean to nepal cricket that you have qualified for the t20 world cup you mentioned the ground is just a grass bank and a little changing room will this mean that there's the facilities will be invested in because of you know what you've actually achieved winning with the big boys yeah i think uh, you know it's got a lot of importance See, last time they qualified was in 2014 and paras kharka who led the side at that point uh, at that time he is now the present secretary of nepal cricket association and he also understands the importance of this qualification you know and what we are trying to do is review what went wrong in the last 8 10 years because uh, i remember i used to uh, do a consultant job with them and then back then when pubudu was the head coach and afghanistan and nepal were progressing neck to neck and seeing it where afghanistan has progressed now you know it's a very similar story for nepal as well you know and the kind of fan following like you said so we are hoping that even government comes in there has been a lot of talks with the sports minister prime minister we also did a presentation last week at what it means and it seems that there is already a sanction given for floodlights for the same ground and if that goes through properly hopefully by next october november with floodlights on we are already imagining that you know that how it will how exciting it will be at that point monty for you personally i i don't want to run the risk of of running through all of your achievements already but you know internationally with afghanistan the uae uh batting coach of the west indies um your involvement with the ipl for all your own personal achievements where where does this rank and i know that you're a, one of those great modest coaches who says oh it's all down to the players but you know we harmy and i have heard that um, you you have had a very significant influence on this team where does it rank for you personally getting them to the world cup it's still ongoing story right so i really don't want to rank it to be honest uh, i think the the story still needs to get bigger at the moment we have just qualified and they have qualified before as well so for me unless we reach super 8 next year that is the main goal you know uh, it will be just like any other associate qualifying and you know being seen over there we know how much struggle every associate country goes through and what you mentioned to me you, for me the way i look at it genuinely i mean i i have not played at the highest level let me share that as well while coaching pursuing coaching and you know being acknowledged by some of the greats from the past and some very good uh, personalities who allowed me to get onto this coaching career i think that sharing different dressing rooms and coming out here in nepal one of the things which really is a difference for me is the the hunger you know the hunger and i feel very proud that you know i'm part of the coaching group here where uh, you know you are able to make a difference to these young dreams and that definitely stands out for me in my coaching career monty what about the the world cup what the challenges between now and now and then and then the challenges you'll have when you get to the america and 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 the west indies what's the challenges for your group going into what is going to be a, a great the great occasion yeah i think uh, again you know in the last four year cycle they did go to us to play the 50 overs game 50 overs format so they have got some idea and experience of having played in us uh, but at the same time i have been in caribbean and i know how the open stadiums out there with the wind and you know the kind of the size of the ground which makes a difference and the kind of challenges you will face in the group especially so we do want to go there early again i'm chasing a uh, people who will sanction some budgets <laughs> so that we can be there at least 4 6 weeks ahead play some fixtures against uh, maybe if not anyone at least usa canada both the teams have also qualified and we are also in talks with west indies you know who can probably send a a team to us and we can play some fixtures against them too uh, i think some of the test nations do have 
second team as well, which is pretty strong. So if we can play against them, that will make a difference. For me, right now, the way I compare is the ranked one team in T20 has played around 200 T20 ODI T20 games, the international T20 games. But when we compare Nepal at the moment, they have in across they have come across 70 games in which most of the games were against associate teams. So in the next four five months, if we can get quality 30 40 T20 games, I'm ambitious. I don't know if that will happen or not, but uh, that's something which we are targeting. And Monty, what's your gut feel about the future of cricket in Nepal? I mean, let's be honest. You know, the the, the Dutch um, are perfectly honest. Um, they, you know, have no aspirations to reach above their station. It's always going to be a minority sport. They're not, don't have test cricket ambitions, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I won't mention any others for, for fear of getting into trouble. But I've always had the sense that Nepal is one of those that may not be able to emulate the Afghanistan story, for example, but, but there is significant a very significant interest in, in the game in the country that, that you could actually become a regular player on the ODI circuit, for example? Absolutely. I feel it's a realistic goal. I mean, what they're missing out is the infrastructure. But as far as participation is concerned, uh, cricket following is concerned, the influence of cricket to, you know, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kids who, you know, they now have their heroes, you know, while playing the World Cup qualifiers, and I, I have a habit of going around the boundary and uh, just, you know, do my walk at the same time, pass on some water. But uh, I see on the banks, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, not just boys, the girls as well, who have come and watched the game. And just the way they cheer up the country, you know, that the Nepal, Nepal, you know, it gives me goosebumps even now. So, for me, this is a telling story. And with all the neighbours who are test nations, you know, I mean, I come from India, so I... I feel that, you know, all the neighbours are test nation. India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and of course, Afghanistan. This is one small country which, if everyone takes a little more interest, can definitely become a test nation. They play, seven, eight months of cricket is in place for them. Seven provinces play cricket now from this year. Uh, we have also started uh, working very hard towards creating a domestic structure. As we speak, uh, we have already penned down the fixture for the PM Cup, where all the provinces and the army and police will play in a league structure manner, 50 overs game. So, we are trying to put a season in place as well for them, which will again be a message for all the neighbouring countries that the quality of cricket will go up if we get support for infrastructure. Monty, is this a, a showcase for your players to push their opportunities in franchise competitions around the world? And that will undoubtedly make Nepal cricket a lot better when they're, they're also rubbing shoulders with some of the good and the great from you know, the game of cricket. Hami, I agree. And, you know, the T20 format is such a format, right? We have seen so many upsets in the smallest format. And uh, if they get exposure, I mean, at the moment, Sandeep Lamichami in the past has played the most number of leagues around the world. And Dipendra Ayri behind him ended up playing the global T20 in Canada last year. I mean, this year, before uh, we went to the World Cup qualifiers. So, if... And I know that at least there are four or five potential players who can go around. I mean, at the moment, even in Abu Dhabi T10, if you see the UAE boys get exposure with the different franchises out there. And just about sitting with more established players, picking their brain, you know, feeling that environment. It's like a confidence booster, right? For especially for the associate cricket cricketers who might have just seen them on the television and then, you know, suddenly they come across and sharing show, you know, same dressing room, playing for the same team. It's mean a lot for them. So I really hope that even some of these boys get picked in the franchises around. I mean IPL is the other thing, but over there, the challenge is a lot more established overseas cricketers will be looked into, especially because it's a biggest event which people talk about and franchises look to win. But even there, my message will be, if you invest in one of the Nepali cricketers, it could be a great investment. Look at the way English Premier League goes around, right? So, the young footballer, when invested well, it can make so much of a difference to that franchise in future. I feel uh, Nepal cricketers is very much uh, like that, you know, a, an investment which will definitely give them rewards long term. Monty, I think a lot of people will be choosing Nepal as their second favourite team if they have a one of the test playing nations uh, that they support. So Super Eight, then can we can we hold you to that? And if you reach the Super Eights, you promise to come back on the show as soon as you possibly can after the after the tournament. Why not? Why not? Because that will be again a story to tell, right? So, at the moment, like I said, uh, one of the th uh, things which we have tried to mould, the attitudes of the players, is walk into the unknowns with excitement. And I think that is another uh, uh, 
you know journey which we have not seen yet but you know just imagining that uh, it excites me you know how it, how great that story will be if we end up qualifying for super eight monty very very best of luck and uh, i know that you'll enjoy the experience just make sure all your players do as well <laughs> cheers mate that was nepal head coach monty desai joining us and for more content on nepal cricket you can visit sportsboom.com. Right, a couple of minutes left, Harmi, to talk about uh, the other stories which have caught our attention during the course of the week. Ireland beat Zimbabwe 2-1 in a thrilling T20 series. It really was very thrilling in, in Harare. Two evenly matched sides there, although Sikandar Raza was banned for the third game after being uh, slapped on the wrist for being stroppy, and he got a disciplinary point and serving a two-match ban. So congratulations uh, to those two teams. I thought the result of the week, though, for me, was New Zealand um, winning that second Test match against Bangladesh. And Glenn Phillips, former wicketkeeper, bowling almost 30 overs in the Test match and then making 87 and 40 not out. That was a a fabulous Test match for New Zealand to square the series, share the series 1-1. A Test match that will be remembered for Mushfakir Rahim being given out, well, obstructing the field, but as we used to know it, handled the ball. Yeah, it was it was a bizarre one because it was going nowhere near the stumps. I, I couldn't I couldn't understand what he was doing. Uh, instinct comes in. Talked about Josh Butler playing with instinct. Michael Vaughan got done, and I think it was an instinctive thing. Graham Gooch, same, all bouncing up, and you just see it. And unfortunately, these things happen in the game, and he'll be largely remembered for what happened to him there. But it was quite bizarre because it didn't really seem to be going anywhere near the stumps. But I agree, the New Zealand victory. It's a it's a great place to win in Bangladesh. That, People say, oh, Bangladesh is at their minnows. In their back garden, that is a tough place to go and play. So, you know, fair play to New Zealand. And Glenn Phillips had a decent World Cup, and he's obviously continued that that form on because there was a lot of head-scratching around Ratchin Ravindra as a mission in that game. Um, but Glenn Phillips has, has proven that from an all-round spin bowl and batter qualities, he did his job for his team. A couple of issues uh, to go. Stephen Croft signing a T20 deal only with Lancashire, uh, retiring from first class and, and list A cricket. And uh, so a T20 deal uh, combined with a coaching role at Lancashire. Yeah, great career from Stephen Croft. He's one of the, you know, the game's good guys. You know, top man, did a bit of everything in his, in his time when it comes to the all-round qualities of, of what he's done for, for Lancashire. And it's good to see that he's, he's been rewarded with not only the coaching role, but probably the, the T20 contract as well. So yeah, he's not fully retired, but he's been a massive servant for, for Lancashire, both on and off the field. And he's had a, for me, he's had a, a wonderful career, probably knocked on the door a couple of times from an England point of view in the, the shortest format in, in white ball cricket. But at the time, England was just a, a ridiculous team to get into. He was probably one of the, the unlucky ones of that pool of talent of players in and around you know, the Owen Morgan group that um, was exceptional for their counties, but just couldn't quite get into the England group. OK, Harmi, the final word this week is usually a, an upbeat story, one that leaves a, a smile on people's faces. And this one may well do, uh, but there may be some who are left with a scowl. But the final word this week goes to Lou Vincent, the former Black Caps New Zealand cricketer, who um, w- had his 10-year ban amended uh, for match fixing, uh, an offence that, uh, or several offences that he admitted to uh, at the time, never covered up. He said that in a statement that it was, he made a mistake that he'll regret for the rest of his life. He had some very strong advocates, um, including Brenda McCullum and, um, uh, well, New Zealand cricket in general, and a number of other former players who said that uh, he, he shouldn't be excluded from the game any longer. And that he should, he desperately wants to to come back to contribute cricket as a family, and uh, we should embrace him. And um, so, so Lou Vincent can now play a role in the game that was his life for so long. Yeah, I'm all for I'm all for for people giving a, a second chance, especially if they've been rehabilitated. I think on these situations, manners. I think you have to judge each one individually and separately by their their actions and their manner when they come to you know basically ask for forgiveness and try and rehabilitate themselves. So I think if Lou Vincent is in a position and he has got the backing of you know some serious big hitters and names from New Zealand cricket to say that he is on the right track, then I'm all for I'm all for second chances, especially for people who are openly and honestly admit that they have made a monumental mistake. 
um, and they want to do good for this great game of cricket. So if he is like that, fair play to him. Yeah, as I said, he's uh, got a, a number of big-hitting supporters who all have vouched for him. So, Lou Vincent, um, best of luck for the future. You've been listening to Following On on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Um, and as always, if you missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed, available from the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for this week, but we'll be back at the same time next to discuss the T20 series so far. This has been Following On. The Following On podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for... How I'd fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.